You're listening to The One Room with a View show. With Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View show with me, Christopher Preston and Hollywood's very own, it's Mr. Dan Orton. Thank you very much. Second television appearance now, Dan. You're going up in the world. Your stock is flying at the moment. Yes, I actually wasn't recognised on the street the other day. Really? Wow, that's amazing. That's, what, 24 years worth now? Yeah, this life. It's it's only you and Macaulay Culkin standing now. (laughs) Right, talking of Macaulay Culkin, what's coming up on today's show? I'm glad you asked, Christopher. Today, uh, on our first episode of season four... Yep. um, We've defied everyone. Doctors, critics... (laughs) (laughs) The police. <laughs> David Brake, the editor. <laughs> something old, something new this month is 2014's Gone Girl. Yeah, brand new feature for a brand new season. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't broke. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and our film, our new film, our something new this month is uh, this Gone Girl 2. Gone Girl 2. Girl on the, the Girl on the Train, by uh, which is another, another sort of um, thriller novel um, turned into a thriller film. Also, we've got a lot of interesting things to say about that. Yeah, well. I'm looking forward to it. Um, then, <laughs> you've decided to... Well, you've just bastardised my well, amazing rebooted. game. Yeah. <laughs> rebooted. That's the Hollywood phrase nowadays, Dan. I've rebooted yes. so it. So, there is no which Chris said this this season. <laughs> no. Instead, you're gonna, you've turned the tables on me. Yeah. And we're going to be doing... Which Dan The said hunter this. becomes the hunted. <laughs> yeah, which Dan said this. Which Dan said this. You couldn't even think of your own... No. No, I'm, go- I'm going with which Dan said which this. Dan yeah. said this, which has Pithy, none, has none witty. of the wit and well, and uh, what of which Chris said this. <laughs> well, it had it had some wit. <laughs> it vaguely rhymed. Go on. Um, also making a, a welcome return. Its second its second outing is Dad's describing films. Can't I've, wait. I've gone back. I've had Dad around again to record a few Can't film wait. descriptions. That they're good. The they're annoying thing good. is, is he will probably be on London Live before us. I reckon they're going to nick the rights to him. I reckon he's. You know, I think we're going to sell them, right? Can we, I, think, I think we own my dad. Do we, or does he own them? No, I, I had him sign something. He didn't realise. Oh, okay, he, fair enough. Okay, his, his <laughs> bike just belongs to <laughs> belongs to the Dan Orton Corporation. I was going to say, I'm glad that we've now got you know power of attorney over um, your father as well as four seasons under our belt. Yes, I should say also we're doing some film new reloaded. Thank you. Um, which we won't reveal what the film is, but it's uh, it's an interesting one, a curio, I think. Yeah, I, I, I'm very much looking forward to discussing and debating it with you, yeah. Also, uh, keen listeners, returning listeners, our regular subscribers, all, I think there are at least two of you, will have noticed <laughs> no. that we were away in September. Mm. We, we took September off, we always do, so we're going to be having a quick chat about what we missed since the last podcast, which was August's... Uh, what Britcom. we missed said this, is the... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, and of course, um, lots more. Yeah, a little in, bit of housekeeping at the end. In between. So, I think... Crack on. Should probably catch a train or something. Let's do it. Some film old! Some film new! Thank you, Chris. No problems. Um... So as I said in the intro there, we're looking at Gone Girl and The Girl on the Train. Both films part of a sort of, I don't know, some kind of resurgence in Hitchcockian thrillers. Absolutely, and as you said before, they share that DNA of every sod on the tube or the morning commute was reading them. So they've kind of jumped from page to screen in that fashion. Uh, 
Gone Girl did come first. Yes. And then the girl on the train um, kind of fairly close on its heels. Yeah, girl on the tra- the girl on the train, the novel, I think, came out in 2015, so actually, or 2014. So actually not a huge turnaround in how quickly they got that film uh, greenlit. It feels like Mark Miller-style um, selling of the rights, though, doesn't it? You know, like now Mark Miller has become this ideas factory. He kind of makes comics, but he makes comics in order for them to be adapted into films. Yes. You do feel that The Girl on the Train was very much that kind of cynical... Well, I have, yeah, I've always, I was saying to someone the other day that I, I, I can't help but feel that the... The, the, the novel Paula Hawkins wrote may have been called The Woman on the Train or something. Yeah. And then some bright spark in... in the Gone Girl on the Train, yeah. <laughs> some bright spark in marketing said, no, 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 we need to change this to Girl. To Girl that, on the Train. You know, that shit will sell. Absolutely. Yeah, gonna, you know, it's going to do so well. It does feel cynical in that way, doesn't it? For me, this does feel purely yeah. passionate. And, and The Girl on the Train, I think... I mean, it is a... I've read the book. I know you haven't. I haven't, But no. it, it is it is a... It, it's a it's a good book. It's it's it's, it's well written. It's it's pacey. You know, you, 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 she, does, she writes in a incredibly uh, suspenseful way which you'd hope in a thriller you, you are you know you do want to read more and more and of course, yeah. there are multi- multiple unreliable narrators which makes it a, like Gone Girl but I mean, not not too Gone Girl light which mm. I know is a criticism of the film itself we, we should definitely talk about plots very quickly shouldn't we yes uh, Gone Girl um, sees Amazing Amy played by Rosamund Pike um Essentially, she goes missing, yes. and the person in the frame is her husband, played by Ben Affleck. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much the spoiler. Yes, I don't even want to give. I mean, if you haven't seen it, we're going to probably give, we will have to we'll spoil have to it, spoil think, it. I'm yeah. afraid. So if you haven't seen or read Gone Girl or The Girl on the Train, um, maybe yeah. go ahead and read them, and, and then, then come back, come back and listen to this. Yeah, that's the kind of but the plot in a nutshell. Yeah. The girl on the train. What the girl on the train? That's about Rachel, who is a sort of um, she's an alcoholic divorcee. She who looks she, a bit like Emily Blunt. Who looks a bit like Emily Blunt. Uh, remarkably like Emily Blunt. And she gets the uh, train into work every day from from the suburbs to the city. And every day that train is stops outside um, a house, and in that house lives a couple who she has created the sort of. Uh, fantasy life for she sort of is I think living vicariously through yeah, her. It, her life is as I've said she's divorced she's alcoholic yeah you feel it's like she uses that as a balm doesn't he she's almost like a kind of outlet for her own pain is yes. that she feels well at least there are another couple that are in love and they are having this wonderful life and you yeah. know they do this except they do that. then the, the woman there's not a twist then there is a twist oh, okay. yes there is surprisingly so I didn't see it coming <laughs> I did <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she, she the, the the female in the couple the, the woman Megan her name is she disappears under mysterious she's a gone girl she, yes <laughs> for want of a pithy <laughs> phrase <laughs> she goes missing Rachel sees this as a chance to uh, some sort of chance at redemption I think and decides to solve the mystery of the disappearance she wants to find Megan or, or find out what happened to Megan mm. save the day and hopefully that will make her life good again yeah and um, just wish it, it made it, the film good again, to be yeah. perfectly honest. This is yes, a very extraordinarily right, yes, horror film. Um, and it does really rely on the fact of, have you seen Gone Girl? Is it kind of a film that you'd more or less want to see again? Then you should definitely come and see The Girl on the Train. Uh, and the saddest part of it is that Emily Blunt is such a good actress, and she's fantastic yes, even in this. So straight off the bat, the best thing about this film is Emily Blunt and her portrayal of... Alcoholism, I think. Yeah, and and also the thing is, though, is that not only is she the best thing, ironically, she's the biggest hamstring because she's so good, she makes everything else look even poorer. Yes. By extension. You are right, her portrayal of alcoholism, 
is so much more deft and into the minutiae than the directors, which feels just a bit like if you've played any form of PlayStation game and you see an alcoholic character. Yeah. It's like Grand well, Theft Auto. It, they just shake the screen a little it's bit. It's very difficult. I mean, playing an alcoholic is so tricky. It, it, it can so easily fall into parody. Mm. That, um, and as I say, I think, yes, I think Tate Taylor, the director, and Emily Bunt may have been on different pages of Definitely. how that's done. Um, but she, I mean, it's just that, a, a good example of that is at the very end when she suddenly... Her hair is washed and clean and sleek, and she's wearing makeup. And, yeah. and it's all you know. You think it reminded me of um, she's safe. She's no longer an alcoholic because look, she, do, she's do wearing you remember, makeup. Do you remember? Um, do you remember? Uh, you are what you eat, or something like that. And it was that Dr. Gillian McKeith on Channel. 4. Oh yes, yeah. And she used to go around and she'd like sort through people's poo and God knows yeah. what else. Yeah. And then at the at the end, she'd make them eat like you know mungo beans and quinoa for about six months. They basically wanted to take their own lives by the end of it. But at the end, they go to Tony and Guys. She she'd send them out with Gok One. They come over with a, make, a makeover, and it'd be there like they they lost two pounds. Look how fabulous they look mm-hmm. because they've got this makeover. That's exactly what it felt like. It was like well, she ain't got any booze in her hand. She's got a bit of on now she's cured it's cured the alcoholism has gone which yeah. is, 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 un, is, is a, which is an unfair representation of what happens in the book um, okay you know it isn't all just magically solved by her you know getting rid of the the the, the, the problem mm. and that, as I sorry, say I don't want to give too much away I do think that Emily Blunt as you said brings a gravitas and that's very much mirrored in Rosamund Pike's Amy who at the beginning yes. kind of plays out to use very specific vernacular as just another cool girl that goes missing and then you have the the mid-film twist which happens exactly as the same in the book mm-hmm. and as I say major spoilers now you find out that actually um, Amazing Amy is a facade and she has done everything in order to facilitate her you know missingness to set up her husband yes she has in, a, in effect faked her own death yeah, and and uh, fake trying murder. Well, yes, sorry, I should say she's yeah, she's made it look like her husband, um, played by Ben Affleck, played brilliantly by Ben Affleck, one of his best roles in a long time in a it, film that he doesn't direct. This is a film I think that was important as well because I think it was the first film that may have come out since his announcement as Batman, and I think people began to become obsueged by the casting because there was obviously this huge Michael Keaton esque furore oh, yeah. that he'd been cast as the Dark Knight. And then people saw Gongo and saw that he has this ability to play multiple shades of the same character. Mm. Uh, and he does. He's fantastic in, in, as Nick yes. in, uh, in Gone Girl. He really is. Um, and I think that Gone Girl is everything that the girl on the train wants to be. It's a shiny version. It's the version. Um, I think when we discussed the film very briefly on London Live on our appearance the other night, and I did say that the girl on the train feels like a Poundland version. Yes, yes, it was very, yeah, very good way of putting it. it which, is, which again is a real shame because you know if you put the books side by side, I mean, yes, Gone, sure Gone Girl is, I think, the superior book. I have read Gone um, Girl uh, only because I mean, it, but but the girl on the train is a good read, and I can see why people bought it in the in in the in the way that they, in you know the millions of copies that it sold sold. Um, and as I said, it keeps you hooked. You really do. You are interested in this character. I think it comes down to, in terms of the film adaptations, though, is that both of the books are very pulpy, and you know, it, they both get this kind of insidious thrill out of picking at the scab of society and letting this like black blood of sex and violence and affairs and adultery and all this kind of stuff mm. flow from this wound. But 
and they are both fairly disposable. They're kind of like the literature you would call like a beach read. You know, like if you left it on the beach or you gave it to someone on holiday, you wouldn't necessarily miss it. What Gone Girl does so well is hiring David Fincher, his prestige filmmaker. Yes. And he brings his own Fincherness to the movie, doesn't he? You know, it does yes. play out and, like one and, of his own and, films. And Gillian Flynn does a yeah, writes a good she wrote a good script of her own novel. Yeah, it bodes well for J.K. Rowling uh, at the end of next month, doesn't it? Yes. You know, getting an author to actually pen the screenplay in mm. a version of their, of no, their story. Uh, which I don't think was the case with The Girl on the Train. No. Uh, but, I mean, The Girl on the Train, though, suffers from... It's not just that it's a bad adaptation of the book. I mean, it, it, it's a difficult book, I think a more difficult book to adapt. Yeah. Um, the way, I think the way The Gone Girl is written lends itself better to the... I mean, and they, and they do expertly introduce that twist mid-film in the same way the twist is introduced mid-book. Mm. In The Girl on the Train, there's a lot of um, not... You know, we, we don't see what Rachel is seeing. We only have what she's describing. We only have what the other unreliable narrators are describing. Mm. And so a lot of it is... A lot of the big reveals are kept, uh, you know, hidden longer. In the film, key plot points are exposed a lot earlier on because we have to see them for it to I was work. Sad. Or it lends itself to awkward moments where they're trying to hide the face of someone and it, and I that is one of the biggest downfalls of any murder mystery or thriller film where you know you don't you don't you only see the back of the killer of or, course, or, yeah, or, or a mask or from yeah. the or from the or perspective of the victims. Yeah, someone turns around saying what are you doing yeah. here? Oh, hello, you. <laughs> hello, you. I you were up for dinner. It's very unnatural and it would never happen and it's just such a very awkward way of, of doing things. I was really sad that... Um, lessens the film's the, the impact. The twist, I saw it with our regular studio audience and... So um, yes, by the way, listeners, Urson Ali yeah, is of here Of course again. he is, our mascot, yeah. <laughs> and I guessed the, quit, the, the twist, what, like half an hour in? And I leant over and I said, this is what's going to happen. But my version of what was going to happen was better than the film's. Um... Can I spoil part? I was going to say, look, so just because I'm curious to hear how Christopher would have written so, the end of the <laughs> This is kind of like a return to... If you're to, listening, uh, Paula Hawkins. Yeah. I was going to say, this kind <laughs> this of is how it's a done. bit of a, a worst things happen a sequel kind of thing. Uh, what I would have done is like the OJ story, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, this I, is how I'd have done it. If I did. If I did, <laughs> it. Um, so I thought that, you know, the Rebecca Ferguson character is Anna, constantly yes. trying to hack into her husband, Justin Theroux's, Laptop. Yes, who is, by the way, Rachel's ex-husband. That's right. Yeah. And she tries to hack into the laptop by writing the name Rachel as the password, which yes. is incorrect. Yeah. Now, I thought she was going to come back and type the password Megan in. Megan is the, yes, Megan is the one who goes missing. Exactly, yeah. who, she, who he's having an affair with. Uh, and I thought that that would have exposed the affair so much more delicately and in, in a in better way. Instead, yeah. it's pure exposition. Yes. And this film is all there's exposition. a lot of exposition. There's a lot of uh, the dialogue is very uh, clumsy. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's, there's one particular right at the beginning where you you are um, being introduced to Rachel's character and she's back at home and she's drunk and her, her flatmate helps her to her bed mm. and there's this very clumsy exchange where obviously they're trying to sort of show that she's been there for a while. She's been there for a while. Yeah, you've been here for <laughs> th- you know, 380 yeah. days yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And Ra- you just Rachel. see a calendar with big red crosses. <laughs> Rachel, is, Rachel says, I only meant to stay here two weeks. Yeah. And then, you know, then she says, that yes, was two years, two years ago. That was two years ago, <laughs> yeah. Okay. You see Justin through battering a woman outside as well in the window. You may need to remember this later on. <laughs> But yeah. as you say, a lot of Emily Blunt appears in the corner of a script. Emily Blunt just in the corner reading Gone Girl. <laughs> but a Gone Girl feels like a legitimate film, and as I say, I think it's because David Fincher is involved, and we know that he's very meticulous in his craft. And 
All right, fair enough. Some of the it's it's metaphor for no marriage is perfect is a little on the nose, and there are some kind of clunkier scenes later on where they're like, we both hate each other, but we both know each other. What yes. marriage isn't like this? Is and kind I, of thing. Yeah, and I never liked the ending of Gone Girl so much, and and then there was all this hoo ha about them changing the ending yeah. of the film, and actually it wasn't that it was much exactly different at all. It was yeah. near but there is that kind of wry, dark gallows humour to Gone Girl of it being a kind of hyperbolic. Yes joke about marriage yes but the girl on the train is just a pure pulpy thriller mm. there and in doesn't... some places unintentionally funny the audience I saw it with were laughing at the, 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 same, the, same the, the climactic battle I said the climactic battle quite quite grandly there. yeah it's there uh, is... Emmy Bond versus Kylo Ren uh, <laughs> and this was wintry it was, do you know what it was a rip off of another film I've seen yeah, recently yeah, there was a, the battle of the five armies at the end of the girl <laughs> when Billy Connolly turned up it was just it was got ridiculous yeah. uh, no what <laughs> So as, as Chris has already touched on there, the, 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 the twist of this, the girl on the train is that Rachel's ex-husband is this um, control villainous freak. control figure, which is much is so much better explained. I can imagine, book, yeah. Not, and you don't have, you know, exposition Phoebe Buffet come in to explain <laughs> everything. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, it's, well, it was it's, Regina Flange who did it. So, you know, <laughs> of course, I don't know what you, of what you want for your money. Um, no, it's, mu- it's much better handled in, in the novel. Mm. But yes, uh, Rachel figures out that her husband is not who he says he is or isn't what he's supposed to be. And he is the, he, he has killed Megan. He was having an affair with Megan. He has killed her because she got pregnant and he didn't want that to come out. Um, he wants his cake and eat it. Essentially, doesn't she? Go, she goes round to his house as as these as these these characters often do in these situations. Don't don't worry, don't worry about calling the police or getting in any backup. Go alone to the madman uh, and solve it yourself. Yeah, they the madman into... who's murdered a woman. Yes, at this they, point, yeah. they get into a scuffle, and in self defence, she stabs him in the neck with a corkscrew, which is quite sort of um, there's a sort of a dramatic irony there from the from the alcoholic. Yeah, a little on the nose. Um, Again, though, <laughs> when you thought it was being a better irony for her to have pushed him in front of the train well, that goes is, by at the same time, I'm, this is what I thought. I uh, I said uh, to someone afterwards that it it would have. I thought they were going to really hollowedize it because they made a real point of saying that this garden backs up right to the rails, and I thought we were going to see him fall in front of the, of the moving train. That's exactly but what I thought. They stick to the book. She stabs him with the with the corkscrew. Then Anna comes out, and all this time Anna's been, it's been quite ambiguous where Anna's going to fall by this point. She sort of hasn't really helped Rachel. She seems to, I think she's sort of, you know, it seems like she might just stick with her very abusive murderer husband. Um, And then, of course, she she goes up to her husband, and rather than help him, she quite literally sticks the knife in Mm. and, and... twists the corkscrew further into this man's jugular. Yeah. It's uh, dead man, him, essentially, <laughs> yeah. Providing him a most agonising death. And people laughed. I can imagine. In the yeah, showing well, I was in, which I, which is... It's because those... It, it goes, again, right down the Gone Girl route of... Gone Girl is very intensely transgressive in terms of... It shows an extraordinary amount of violence and sex, mm. but in... Very like little yes. bursts. People are trying to relieve the tension by laughing at these moments. But whereas in the girl on the train, there's a random sex scene here. There's a random bit of violence in there, and it just all feels strained together. This it's is what I mean. It, it, eyebrowsing all... for the the mummy porn generation. You know, like mm. you can imagine that people who would enjoy the girl on the train are probably going to be the people who enjoyed Fifty Shades of Grey, the adaptation. I do really feel like it was there was something very distinct about that. Um, it just felt like they they did squander the 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 potential slightly, as I say that they bill it as this sexy dark thriller, yeah. but you know 
Hayley Bennett wandering around with her kit off every now and then does not a sexy thriller make. You speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but Hayley Bennett... Thank you. But didn't you think that Hayley Bennett's role with Megan is, is something not dissimilar to what Jennifer Lawrence would have played like a few years ago? I did think that they really... There is actually a passing um, oh, yeah, similarity so between Hayley Bennett and Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, they do look alike. Yeah. Um, and I do think that this film felt more like a vehicle of set... It was almost like her winter's bone. Mm, maybe but it didn't work. Yes, it's a shame. I mean, I'd like to see... Uh, yeah. I was about to say I'd like to see more of Hayley Bennett, but then I thought, enough. I thought you'd make a good cheap gag. Um, <laughs> and you did. <laughs> <laughs> Season four, brand new. It's so good to be back. It really is. Um, nothing changes. Uh, <laughs> no, I think I hope I hope we see more of Hayley Bennett because I did. She hasn't done loads, and I think this is probably one of her bigger roles. I don't think she comes know, off badly in it in though. I'd say. Um, it's a Megan is a good part. All the the female parts again. It feels like the female. The, all the parts are a lot better in the book. I can than imagine. They are yeah. In the I mean. Emily Blunt probably does gets the best out of it with Rachel. I think Anna is her transformation into Rachel is extraordinary though. Like you know, she even comes that like the Alex Ferguson whiskey nose. Yes, like, she yeah. even kind of pulls that off, and she does look genuinely out of it. As you said, like even trying to play drunk is a difficult thing because mm. it descends so quickly into parody. But and you know, she was pregnant throughout production. I didn't so know that. Suppose what I've heard. So she wasn't drinking anything at all. Yeah. Know? So it's not as if you know. She could wow. even get into it a little bit. But she is fantastic. And and uh, I think I was reading on Twitter or on Letterboxd or somewhere the other day that they said that this is an Oscar-worthy performance from her. It's just a shame that everything else yeah. is so Well, drastic. that mirrors, I suppose, mirrors the likes of Mar- uh, Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> Meryl Streep in The Iron Lady. Absolutely, was, uh, yeah. You know, that, was, that was an Oscar-winning performance, as it turned out, in what really was a pretty run-of-the-mill bio- biopic film. Yeah. It just feels such a shame that that the girl on the train does feel like a ludicrous cash-in on how successful Gone Girl was. And let's be honest, Gone Girl is Batman v Miranda Frost. And the girl on the train is watching Mary Poppins glug a special brew for an hour and a half. <laughs> so I think that takes us on to Bob's, really. Yes, it does. Yes. Um, Gone Girl, I think... I don't know if we've ever discussed Gone Girl, Gone Girl before on the podcast... I don't think we have in the past, or we've certainly talked about it. I'm mm. sure. I'm I'm going to give it four out of four bob out of five. It's a, it's definitely a four bob film. Definitely, yeah. Um, I agree completely. A it great feels... adaptation of a of a, a really interesting book. Absolutely, and this is the first time I'd seen it since the cinema, and it was actually quite nice to watch it again. I don't think it's going to be a film for the ages, but for a film for a Friday night to crack on with, uh, there is something quite special about it. You know, as I say, there is a a poisonous perfume that really doesn't. Bring you it in. holds up nicely, and it is, and that is a it is a good. It's a dark, sexy Hitchcockian thriller, which we you know, which I think we missed when it first came out, and now suddenly there are more of them. It's like the Benesons. Looking as back, well, it's brilliant. The Benesons, yes. I'm a big fan of Ben Affleck. Yeah. Um, oh, he's great. He's great. Um, so yes, yeah, so four, four Bob there from from both of us. What about the girl on the train? I'm gonna go with two Bob, uh, but I do think there are shades of one Bob about it as Ooh. well, because some of it is just as you said, just ludicrous, and there are some parts of it where you laugh out loud, and I think if you are trying to bring about this Hitchcockian thriller, if you don't care about the twist and you don't care about the ending, then surely you're you're missing the point. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't. And those two bobs realistically go just to Emily Blunt, who is extraordinary. Yeah. It's, it's just a shame that the film is such a As you said, it's a pound land a train wreck. <laughs> Very good. Thanks. I wouldn't say it was a complete train wreck. It is, as you say, a pound land gone girl. It, it's, it's a... 
it's an inferior adaptation of a book that was already an inferior uh, sort of adaptation, adaptation of Gonga, yeah. um, as, as entertaining as it was. So now I know when we were on London Live earlier this month, I gave it three out of five stars. You're doing I've, a David Brent, are you? I'm doing, <laughs> I've reassessed my position. I've been, it's been stewing for a few days now in the run-up to this, and I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to give it two bob, I think. It, it, it is it's too ludicrous, but, but Emily Blunt saves it as best she can. Some film new! Reload it! I think that might be my least favourite <laughs> jingle. It's one of my favourites. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, a film we saw for, in again, in prep for, for, the, for, for London Live, for London Film Club, which is on... Uh, Every Thursday... At, at a brand new time. Brand new time of half past six on London Live. And that's Sky 117, Virgin 159, Virgin because we dissed Virgin Media last time, so I wanted to make sure that we actually gave it this time, uh, and Freeview 8. Yes, do tune in if you fancy... Uh, and we're not on every week. Don't worry, yes, don't worry, we're not on every week. Our esteemed editor, Mr. Brake, David Brake Esquire, is on every week yeah. um, talking about films. So... As I was saying, in preparation for that, we were reviewing The Governor. The Governor, The yeah. Governor, which is a documentary about the life and times of Lenny McLean. And, uh, Britain's I, hardest man. So, so self-proclaimed yeah. Britain's hardest man. He was a, a bare-knuckle boxer, mm. a, a doorman, a criminal, uh, possibly a gangster. And a thug overall. A, 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 a and a thug, it seems, but all, and, and an actor towards the, his yeah, final Barry days. the Baptist, he played in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, which mm. was released just a few weeks, I think, before he passed away. Mm. But this documentary is an interesting one, because it has a kind of twist in itself, Dan, doesn't it? Yes. You know, it's very much the, the, the girl on the train <laughs> of the documentary world. Yeah, um, the governor on the train. <clears throat> is... It's made by his son, Jamie. Yes, directed by a guy called Paul Van Carter, mm. and but but yes, who has been like, the producer on lots of the East End London mm. films, mm. and cl clearly is a is a product of that, that area. Yeah, it's very much Jamie McLean. I think wanted to uh, set the record straight, perhaps is the way of putting it. Yeah, I think there's a on, level of that, or, or just simply I don't, I don't know, try and paint a different picture of his dad. I think it's just a kind of a love letter to his father. I think there is something <laughs> Luther Van Tross about it. I do really think it is basically his version of. Dance with my father yes, again. Yes, you can't sing, so he made a documentary. Um, you can't make a documentary either. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was some film new <laughs> reloaded. See you next month. If unless the McLeans are yeah, there. Anyway. Yeah, I was going to say I'm ever so slightly worried about reviewing this film uh, because, as Dan said, there is some some links to the underworld and what a wonderful rogue, like cliche rogue gallery they yeah, are. So all, all sorts of uh, East End wide boys, yeah, Mick the Teeth, uh, yeah. Johnny the Fish, Billy the Hat. They yeah. all make an appearance um, to talk about. Dan the podcaster. <laughs> they, they all make all get a mention. Uh, yes, so. It, it, I should so he, he, Jamie McLean starts the documentary by sort of saying, "I want to find out." You know, my dad was a violent man, and it seems that Jamie's just got out of prison for 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 getting into a fight himself. He, he's been convicted of GBH, and he's served some time, and he's decided he wants to find out about what what made his dad violent. And and it's, it seems like he's trying to find that out to see if it has somehow affected him. Yeah, and that's in, all in the prologue, isn't it? That that kind of gets down, wrapped yeah. up because well, we never very quickly. We never the, the opening prologue of the movie um, sets that out quite clearly. As yes. Dan said, he says, "My and father I, was a very violent man. I've gone to jail. I really wanted to find out what made my father tick." 
But that, that's and then he does. He basically goes seven minutes in the next part of the film. He then tells us, uh, you know, from, we've got video recordings of Lenny himself saying, well, my stepdad beat me up and I think that, you know... And his stepfather used to call himself the governor, yes. which is where this... And that, session. I thought, was a very interesting premise. I would have liked more of that, but instead we sort of drift away from that into what you say, this sort of love letter style filmmaking where he, he just romanticises and glorifies and, you know, puts... And his, it's his old and, man, and isn't hero it? worships his old man. Yeah. And, 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 we, and we, so we lose. We lose out on what could have been a very interesting insight. And that's the other thing. You see, you've, got to, you've got to tie in with the fact that we are looking at this man through his son's eyes throughout. Absolutely. We never get another... another no, because none of, the other, none of the McLeans want to talk on camera. Yeah, that worried me as well. Um, I assume they'll talk on the podcast, though. <laughs> the entire clan of them waiting outside. Uh, but So we, let, we only see this man through his father's eyes. And it, it is coupled with this... Again, this poetic glamorisation of the East End in that time. We spoke about this on London Live. It isn't unlike the film Legend, which does portray the Cray twins again, as we've seen time and time before, as these princes of the East End, these lovable yes. Robin Hood rogues. More so than any other type of criminal, we love to romanticise gangsters. I don't Particularly in the East End of London. And the East End of London. You know, I don't know why. It, well, it, you know, it's well just, I, mean, actually, I think I do know why. but Because there is something <laughs> romantic about it, isn't there? And they've got these quirks and it's why we love the mafia you know it's yeah. why we watch the godfather it's why we watch goodfellas it's why the sopranos were so big we, there is something um yeah. i don't know and beyond. everyone everyone had a story about the craze and everyone had a story and everyone about knew them yeah, yeah. And everyone knows and in similar fashion everyone knew lenny yeah. didn't they everyone but it, east end knew it, right, it, it it suffers from that cockney thing of you know doesn't matter the poor bloke's bollocks were wired up to a car battery but you know everyone left their doors open those days yeah, because that's just, what it was like, like it was the kind of area like, we well, that's he says it so many times it's like a sort of catchphrase throughout the uh, throughout the film Jamie McLean saying well that's what it was like in them days and lots of other characters say oh yeah it was just what we did in them days that was the it's intense bending. violence and it's like you, you, you just you, he was obviously a deranged criminal. He was um, deranged. This person. At one point, they talk about this friendly anecdote as if it was like something that happened in Jamie's childhood, in which they talk about his father biting a man's throat, throat out yes, and coughing up his flesh, yes. and that results in the man's gruesome murder. Yeah, yeah. That's just swept aside as if it was just another um, funny little story. It's crazy. Yeah. You get you got some guy. Yeah, some guy in a suit going, "Your daddy was a character, wasn't yeah, he?" Yeah, 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 exactly. When he coughed up that man's larynx, <laughs> yeah. that was yeah. what a laugh that was. Poor old, bi- poor old Billy. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that yeah. kind of thing. And there's another absurd story later on where you find out when Jack, um, when when Lenny is the bouncer of the Hippodrome Casino yes. off Leicester Square, yeah. and he punches some kid essentially uh, at which and the kid dies that later that night which they subsequently find that something to do with police brutality but that entire part of the documentary isn't shown to be there like this is what happens when violence spirals out of yeah. control it's like poor old Len you know what you know he, he was done for murder before um, he was nearly done for murder again you know it's this bloke's basically Jack the Ripper going round but you've got the violins playing and everything yeah, no, there's always and, I mean there's a whole bit isn't there when they're talking about the bare knuckle boxing and Jamie McLean's describing it today how it's done and then yeah. it, he, and he can't escape he cannot escape praising his dad because he then says oh these guys these guys 
They only go in for a couple of rounds. Yeah, my dad out. was in there for hours. My dad was just, you know, 3,000 fights my dad did. Yeah. It didn't do him, it didn't do him any harm. I think it did, Jamie. I, well, he, I died, think he died at 49 years old, number one. I was say, he died at the age That was after terrorising London. <laughs> reach the age of 50. Yeah. I think it did do him some harm. These guys are only doing five rounds because otherwise they will die. Yeah. Yeah, that is. <laughs> it, I think, as you said, as a documentary, it feels like a, a wasted opportunity, a missed opportunity. Because yes. there is no denying that, regardless of what we're saying, this character is fascinating. Absolutely, I would have liked, and I say, I, I would have liked to have found out more about the character described in the first seven minutes yeah, or so, in an objective manner. Yes, the way that this film is tolerable, and what is interesting about this film is, if you don't look at it as a Lenny McLean story, you look at it as. A, a son making a documentary about his father. There is something about that paternal relationship mm. that is absolutely fascinating to follow. And I should say, slag the film off, but, and I want my lawyer is telling me very strongly to say this, as well as my family and dear and close ones, um, that Jamie is a very, very affable host. Oh, yes, you're absolutely right. You, you I, are I, more I, than happy you know, to spend was, a couple of hours. It was really interesting to hear his anecdotes as mm. sort of quietly horrifying as they were. Because he brings his bouncy, cheeky, yes, chappy, cockney charm to it. You're right, there is a certain... Um, it, he, it's a, if anything, it's a more interesting character study of Jamie McLean. Absolutely. In the end, than it is of Lenny. Because you, he is constantly trying to live up to being Lenny McLean's son, whilst wrestling with this clearly oh, yes. much he's, lighter he's a very, side. He's a very uh, conflicted character. He talks. He says at the very beginning that he, you know, his dad was violent, but he was never into fighting. Doesn't like fight. Doesn't. Like, you know, he says he talks about going to the boxing club and sparring for a bit, but he never. Then he, he says, he liked, "I never liked the idea. I, know, I don't like fighting." And I like then the immediately yeah. says, "I've just done some time for getting in a fight." Yeah. <laughs> for a man who doesn't like fighting, that's an interesting but thing. He, to and that find, is absolutely you know, right. To find yourself, he constantly in. you feel like he's living up. He's trying to be this like almost Danny Dyer. The yes. impression of a gangster. But I guess if your dad is Lenny McLean. And that's what I'm saying, is that I think the fact that he has to be this product, but at the same time, he isn't. He's, there are saying, so much nicer, and he's yeah. a, he seems like a lovely be man. Be your own man, Jamie. Absolutely, and it, it, he brings this bounciness, and he can't help but laugh and joke around with everyone. Do you know, mm. like, the, 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 the most wonderful parts of The Governor are where you see Jamie pulling people's legs, and he's <laughs> laughing around with the director and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then it constantly kind of it judders to a halt when it goes back to talking heads and he's there like, you know, my old man, he was respected and all this kind of yeah. stuff. And it's like, I'd rather mo- spend two hours... But I, do you know what I'd like to do? A walking tour of the East End with Jamie McLean. That, for me, that well, would be a better film. an interesting thing in the film, isn't it? It's when, when, it's not, when it's not a Lenny McLean uh, documentary, it feels very much like a history of the East End. You know, this is what, you know, he, he sort of stands there and says, well, all this here, that was, you know, yeah. this is a farm... It's all houses now. Obviously. And that's what I'm saying. If you try and unfortunately, the governor, because of the way it positions itself, is a wasted opportunity. But you can find these small glinting nuggets in it. Mm. And if you do look at it as a farewell letter to the East End, because that's gone now, you know, that life has gone. And that's probably why Maybe we romanticize it. Yeah, well. but I think that's probably why we romanticize it, because it's a mm. museum piece now, isn't it? And all of the characters are dying off. And such nostalgia for the days of uh, car batteries. Yeah, <laughs> 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 and stuff. But um, if you look at it like that, or or as I say, uh, as this Luther Van Dross, but uh, along the lines of this this poor man essentially trying to live up to mm. the king of the underworld, and he can't. It, it is a much more nostalgic and, and and a gentler piece for that. But you know, there's not enough of that really to kind of You're absolutely right. what they do. So, Bob's. I'm going to go with two, which feels harsh. It probably is a three Bob film to most people. Yeah. But I think that because it doesn't quite fulfil its 
ambition and because there is a film in there that they missed yes. a better film in there I have to go with two Bob you're absolutely right but I it know. isn't a bad way to spend an hour and 40 minutes no. I think it will be of great interest to some I feel, people. I feel, I feel like Jamie McLean quite conflicted because I'm going to say it too, Bob, but I would say to people, please do watch it, I think. Agreed. Maybe just to, just to maybe disagree with us. Or, yeah, or... absolutely. And if you do, podcast at oneroomwithview.com. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. McLean. <laughs> Which Dan said this. Perfect. Mm. That's uh, <laughs> complete with a little chink there. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, sorry about that. That was a nice cup of tea going on there. Right, okay, so the premise, Dan, is your brainchild. Do you yes. want to say the original premise? And so we, I think we may have debuted this in season two. It's been on a while. It's been yeah. on a while. So this is a little game called, which was called, which Chris said this, where mm. I gave uh, Chris, well, I, I, had a, I have a film quote, a quote from a famous Christopher or, or Christine or whatever, and uh, then I give Christopher three options and you have to pick the right Chris yeah and I find the right to, famous Christopher I used to kind of do my, my workings out I was going to say you've got, all, you've got all sorts of weird okay, um, I have kept the scores last as of last season yeah. you, you you actually won I, I was going to say you beat, me, so. you beat me by one I think just one in the end I think one or oh hang on because no you way. definitely yeah. came back in I did story. come back I nearly had you but then you, you managed to get a couple of, you had a good couple of runs so of the months. adaptation the, this is the girl on the train version <laughs> much much worse of what was quite a good, nice idea. Uh, we'll do that for this season, so over the next up until um, July of next year. Yeah, so now it's going to be... Which Dan said this, so Chris is going to give me... Um, Chris is going to give me three Daniels yep. and a quotation, and I've got to guess which Daniel said it. Absolutely. Okay, All right, so it. the quotation is as follows. I'm not much of a cake person... That's the quote. That's the quote. I'm not much of a cake person. Oh, I always gave you a bit more than that. I'm, I'm not much of a cake person. I'm not much of a cake person. Now, I found a much better quotation from this person, but I thought it was too easy. All right. So well, I'm going to go a bit there. So I'm not much of a cake person, yeah. and the Daniels are as follows. Mm -hmm. Daniel Day Kim, who was Jin in Lost, yes, and yeah, he's in yeah. that new cop show. I can't remember which one. Is he in the, didn't they do it make Miami Vice? Yeah, yeah I think he's in the Miami Vice reboot on the... Well, Channel 5 in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> so, Daniel Day Kim. Daniel Radcliffe. Um, I think yeah. he's a fairly new actor. He's, he's in Swiss Army Man. Yeah, yeah, he's coming up. He's coming up, uh, he's coming up yeah. Nothing, nothing he's coming down. down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Dan Aykroyd, obviously of Ghostbusters fame. Do you want the quotation again? No, I think I've got it. I'm okay. not much of a good <laughs> person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, and war and peace. Which Leo said this? <laughs> So, what are you thinking? Talk to me about your workings out. I'm not much of a cake I'm person. I'm not much of a cake person. Daniel Day Kim. Daniel now, you Rice see, Daniel Day Kim Rice. seems like an odd... Like, it seems like you were looking for... If you were looking for obscure Daniels to pick quotes from to throw me off, you'd pick Daniel Day Kim. Okay, fair. So, fair, it feels fair, like that yeah. might be... Yeah. But it's such, an, it's such an innocuous phrase. I know. Anyone would say that. I don't think anyone would say it. Well, people who enjoy cake are not going to say it. Well, no, but I'm not gonna, I don't know which one of those three Daniels Listen, enjoys Listen, there are two cake. types of people in this world, okay? Yeah. There are those who like <laughs> cake and those who don't like cake. And then there's uh, Justin Theroux who wants his cake and eat it. <laughs> but I suppose he would like cake by would, extension. But, yes, so, by yeah. extension, yes. Yeah, so he still fits so, into one category. Um, I'm not much of a cake person. I'm not much of a cake person. You know, it's horrible to say, but I just for some reason I think that they would, you know, not of all the Dans, Dan Aykroyd would be the one that would be asked about cake. Yeah, but is Dan Aykroyd a cake person? That's the question on our lips at this point. 
He looks like it. All right. <laughs> no fat shaming here. <laughs> he looks like he likes a slice of cake, but like, maybe maybe that's the bluff, Dan. Maybe that's the bluff. I, don't, I can't even apply context. I to this feel race. so powerful in this role. Well, I did. Well, I did. I you used to sit like Zeus on this, didn't you? <laughs> on what quotation will we do today, mere mortal? Yeah, I feel good. I'm glad that this is happening this season. I'm not much of a cake person. I feel like Rosamund Pike at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to give you all these clues. You're, you're going to wander around, you'll find a garage worth of all of this, uh, this stuff. Sort of cake. Yeah. yeah. What's going on here? 60 inch TV. But who did it, Dan? <laughs> is it Daniel Radcliffe? Is it Dan Ackroyd? Um, or is it the bloke from the Miami Vice reboot? I'm not much no, of a cake I, person. I feel, like you've, I feel like you've just thrown Daniel Day Kim in there. Okay. As a, as you needed another Dan. Okay, fair enough. So I'm, I'm, you're getting rid of him. I'm getting rid of Dan. All right, Day Kim is gone. Well, wait. The look on your face would suggest that was a bad idea. Oh, I, don't know. Oh, I don't want to say anything. I don't know if you're a good poker player or not. I'm just let's check let's find out. Let's uh, play because I've got all the aces up my sleeves at the moment. And all the, all I've the got cakes. Eight aces, yeah. <laughs> so Day Kim is being taken um, down, presumably. I'm trying to think why any of them would be asked about their opinions on cake. Well, like, when would they have said... He appears on a show on Channel 5, Dan, so I wouldn't be too <laughs> ready to get rid of him at this point. Um, I think... I'm going to go with my gut instinct on this, and I think Dan, Dan Aykroyd is not much of a cake person. Okay. So you want to lock Dan Aykroyd in? Yes. Okay. He's the cake. He's the he's the quote. He's that that which Dan said this. The Dan is 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 Dan Aykroyd. Okay. I'm not much of a cake person. Mm. Says Daniel Radcliffe. Damn it. <laughs> or Dan it. <laughs> That's what we'll be called next month. <laughs> when did you say that? No idea. No idea. No, my research isn't as thorough as yours. You're like, um, who do you think you are when you do the quotations? <laughs> I Wikipedia them. So yeah, there you go. He's put it in. Yeah, it's made the go. it's made one the diary point. one zero. Fantastic. This be back next month. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'll be back. Daniel right. Radcliffe, not much of a cake person. No. Well, there you go. He prefers flans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here is a a good feature name that Dan has just made up. Wake me up when September ends. Um, obviously, this is the, the feature where we discuss what the podcast would have missed out over the summer. Mm. Uh, obviously, we when we finish our, our seasons, we do three summer specials. I know you really pick at one particular film. Yes. Uh, and then we have the September off Yeah. to differentiate between seasons. So what did we miss out on, Dan? Well, um, in between this and, and uh, not, not strictly September, but Gene Wilder passed away. Yeah, very sad um, news. He actually passed away this time. I know that he's kind of the Neil Buchanan, wasn't he, where he just seemed to die every single year, but unfortunately... Yeah, sad yeah. at the age of, I think, 88, he finally succumbed to um, the cruel disease that is Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, and what a loss that was. For the Absolutely. We've, we've, we've had to discuss a lot of great losses for the film yeah. world this year. 2016 has been um, such an awful year, hasn't it? And yeah. I don't know if it has actually been crueler. Um, it certainly seems so this year yeah. with the amount of loss. We've, we've still got the possibility of Donald Trump as president to come. Yeah. And, and, and still a good few months to lose the rest of the cast of Harry Potter, presumably. Um, so yes, favourite Jim Especially Martin? if he keeps on with that cake. I was going to say, because <laughs> diabetes is such a cruel little illness. <laughs> Well, favorite Gene Wilder film? Do you have a favorite? It's got to be Charlie in the Chocolate Factory, hasn't it? I mean, uh, I think 
there, I love all of the Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor is my favourite stand-up comedian of all time, and seeing mm. him and Gene Wilder together is fantastic. Elsewhere, he did things like Blazing Saddles. Yes. But the the kind of clever, creepy, but fun warmth he brings to Willy Wonka, I don't think he can He's imagine. a much better Willy Wonka than... Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. Yeah. Johnny far, Depp. far better. It's just a terrible film. That, well, that's a terrible film, yeah. yes. Um, but very sad news. Yeah, very tragic news that he's gone. Yeah. I think uh, Dr. Frankenstein in Young, in in young Frankenstein, Frankenstein yeah. is, is my is my favourite performance of his. Although, obviously, yeah, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is um, great. One of, the, one of the first things I saw him in was, virtually the first thing I saw him in, was a, a TV movie version of Alice in Wonderland. Oh, really? He played the Mock Turtle. I thought you were going to say the Mad Hatter then. No, no, no. Let's see, Johnny Depp Martin Short. His... Martin Short was the Mad Hatter. Oh, okay. Fair it's right. a, it's a, you think... could see Gene Wilder as the Mad Hatter, though. I think he would have done yeah. quite well. No, with I that think role. he would have been a good one. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if I'm sort of trying to. I don't know if I'm separating him from Willy Wonka enough there, though. That feels like. Yeah, you're, you're probably just sort of right there. Exposing one guy. Well, if you work for Depp. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was. It, that was very, very sad. Very sad news indeed. Um, into September, movie news, Bridget Jones' Baby came out. And you, and you were telling me the other day, I was saying, between yeah. commercials, the stupid amount of money it's made. One of the most successful, I think the most successful September UK release. September re- film release yeah. ever. Interesting. Uh, I didn't care for it myself. I didn't think it was much. I know that a lot of people think it was better than the second film, The Edge of Reason. Yeah. Um, I actually do think The Edge of Reason was slightly better. I actually really enjoyed the first Bridget Jones Diary. I think they're great films. I just um, don't... In, I didn't enjoy this third one. It just seemed a bit mm. like, pointless. It was kind of like, if you're going to bring a, uh, a sequel to these beloved films again so late, it needs to feel warranted. And this felt like a film that should have been made ten years ago, like Max... Now it just seemed just too much. It felt like, you know, as they wander towards their 50s, it would have been a much more interesting point to look at them at, as that age rather than make them feel it like they're in their late 30s, which is what the baby angle does. Yes. Um, it, it, it just feels unnatural and unnecessary. And um, there are some really, really funny moments in it. And I will say there are two sequences in particular that are very funny, but the overall film is, is no more than two, Bob, I'm afraid. Saying that, though, I was the only person not laughing at like all the time the the theatre that I was in absolutely loved it so yeah mm. and, uh, another film that came out another film we missed which I would have loved to talk about in more detail um, was Hunt for the Wilder People I saw that the other day and it was absolutely fantastic <laughs> yes yeah. I've, Very... I've heard so many good things about it yeah um, some uh, there was just a few films that I saw in September I was quite lucky to, to see that I think that one particular that I would love mm. particularly you to go and see Dan is called Tickled I don't know if you've heard about it, is a documentary about um, competitive endurance tickling. And (laughs) it starts as this Louis Theroux-style, quirky, eccentric, oh, look at this funny video. It honestly blows up into something on a terrorism-level scale. (laughs) And it is so dramatic that I would ask people just to go and watch the trailer, pause the podcast, go and watch the trailer, and tell me that at the end of those three minutes that you aren't desperate to see that film. It is an incredible piece of journalism. And as I say, it starts off as this whimsical, funny, look yeah, at these yeah, blokes yeah, tickling yeah. each other, and it ends on something that, that really blows you away. You're on the edge of your seat throughout. I'd 100% recommend you see that before the end of the year. Um, I also saw uh, Kubo and the Two Strings a couple of weeks ago. Yes, it's an amazing looking animation. Lo- lovely, you know, in terms of the, the yeah. style of animation. And it's, it looks it's, incredible. It's gorgeous. It's a really fantastic, it's a cross between um, stop mo- actual stop motion and some CGI. It tells mm. a very simple story. 
isn't afraid to be melancholic in its own way. Um, it's, it's beautiful. It really is wonderful. So mm. I would say if you can catch any of those, then uh, then I would absolutely employ you to. Okay. Well, so there we are. That's what we, a brief sort of overview of what we missed um, while we were away. Um, <laughs> wake me up when September ends. That was... Well, that was that. Yeah. Dad's Describing Films. This is the... Uh, Feature the, the the game. Dad's describing films. This uh, game is basically my dad has come by. He's he's I've given him a list of films to describe. He has done that. Christopher is about to hear three of them. Yeah. And you have to basically guess from my dad's rather obscure. We realised uh, after kind of meeting each other's fathers that they're cut from the same cloth and they've got this almost Dali esque way of retelling stories. Uh, particularly when they come down to films, um, mm. and we we kind of hit upon this novel idea of getting them to describe them because they don't sound anything no, like the actual I, films they've watched. You would never. I don't think you'd ever guess what they were talking about. So um, we've got three now, Dan. Is that right? Yeah, from, my, from my old man. The listener's going to listen along. With you'll hear them as well. well. You'll hear them what, what Chris hears, and then he'll he'll have to guess. Play along at home if you like. Okay, right. Let's go. The first one. Liam Nielsen, isn't it? Meryl, Meryl Streep. <laughs> Nielsen. <laughs> Who's he? <laughs> get get his agent she immediately. She's got to make a decision. Okay. If I say him, I'll give it away, won't I? I was going to say, interesting use of vernacular there. Right, that must be it. So it's Le- Liam Nelson, I think. So that kind of put me off a little. Is he in this film? He's not thinking of Schindler's List, is he? Is he in this film as well? Liam Nelson. <laughs> Because this is Sophie's choice, surely, isn't it? Um, no, he it's was not actually. Oh, he is in it. No, no, I, the film is Sophie's choice, surely. No, the film is not Sophie's choice. I told him Schindler's List. <laughs> so Mel Streep is not in it. No. <laughs> so you said Schindler's List, and he described. And he described Sophie's, Sophie's choice. choice but Do I get a Liam point Neeson for was in it. <laughs> Brilliant. So that's what you're dealing with, ladies yeah, and gents, there you go. listening. That's, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Fantastic. So we'll start. call that a draw, shall we? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's so awful. Sorry, John. That is diabolical. Bloody hell. Right. Here's the second one. It's about a bloke dressing up. A bloke dressing up? With another mate who dresses up as well. And he's on the side of good. Okay, that's every film ever made. There's a bit more. Okay. Do you remember any of the plot? (laughs) You've just got involved. I ain't seen it. (laughs) Who's in it? Uh, Would it be... Oh, it's about half a dozen who's done the part, isn't it? So, there's a bloke who dresses up, there's another bloke who dresses up for good. Mm. He hasn't seen the film, but there's half a dozen blokes who have played this part. I think there's a bit more as well, don't you okay. playing, see if there's some more. He's got a butler. He's got a butler, brilliant. So, it's going to be Batman, surely. Okay. Yeah, but which one? Oh, come <laughs> on, Dan. Well, so there's. Let's go through the Batman canon. So I'm going to assume this is the live action, none of the animated ones. There's Batman, the Adam West one, Batman the movie, Batman 89, Batman Returns, Batman Begins, no, Batman Forever, Batman Robin, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, now Batman v Superman. So there has been West, Keaton, Kilmer, Clooney, Bale, and Affleck. There's been six Batmans yeah. over all those He was films. right, he was right, there would have been half a dozen. 
But do you know from what he was describing there? Do you know which one, which film I gave him? Uh, of talk course about? not. So I've got to try and think. Let's go. The Dark Knight. Spot on. Oh, thank God for that. <laughs> well, well, do you know what? I'm the best at this game. Then, right? Let's go on with number three. He's got. He's got a butler. Brilliant. Right. Was that what gave it away? No, I think it was just because I was thinking which one is the most famous of them. Assuming it's probably no, but I meant in terms of you figuring out oh, the Batman film. Yeah, it was yeah. because obviously any superhero dresses up. It was only that bit at the end. Famous for a line which it was never said. Famous for a line that's been never said. Okay. What happens in the film? I, I love the fact you have to prompt him. Don't know. I've never seen it away from. Be honest. <laughs> I think she gets on a plane here, doesn't she? So, oh so, it, it, so he hasn't seen two out of three of today's films. Yeah. Right. Um, it's famous for a line that's never said. He's never seen it, as in John, Mr. Orton has mm. never seen it, and she gets on a plane well, at the end. Well, he's never seen it all the way through. She gets on a plane at the end. Casablanca? It is Casablanca. <laughs> Do you know what? Well Again, done, three for three. I don't know. I'm bleeding from every orifice at the moment. I'm that amazed took, you've got that's Schindler's look. List when he describes... I didn't Sophie's, Schindler's List. I said oh, no, Sophie's sorry. Choice. Oh, you did say Sophie's Yeah, sorry, we said yeah. that that was a draw. So, brilliant. Can that, That'll come back again soon, I hope. Yeah, next month we can do it. We, we, I had him do loads of these. Fantastic. There is a my library dad, of uh, films. My dad's moving at the moment, and so he's kind of quite tense. So I really want to prompt him about film. So hopefully we'll get my dad involved soon. But yeah, we'll bring that back soon. There we go. Dad versus my dad versus Christopher Preston. versus Oscar Schindler. <laughs> right, housekeeping. We don't have a jingle for that, Dan. No, never have, never will. So the first time that we're kind of you know putting the shelves back up, wiping surfaces down, etc., for this brand new season, yes, season not four. dissimilar to the previous three seasons. But as you said, if it if it ain't broke, then don't fix it. Precisely. Uh, we are still available on iTunes and SoundCloud. So if you want want us on the go, if you want us on desktop, if you want us on an app, etc., you can find us on both of those platforms. We are the official podcast show. Yes. For OneRoomWithAView.com. Despite David Brake's best efforts. I was going to say, a website that outpaces us pound for pound, <laughs> punch for punch. Uh, as I said, we're not necessarily in, um, an indictment of quality there, but if you, you should definitely check out OneRoomWithAView.com. Uh, like it on Twitter. Yes. No, like it on Facebook, One Room With A View. Mm-hmm. You can follow us on Twitter. It's at One Room With A View, numerical one. Uh, you are at Mr. Alton. I am, M-I-S-T-E-R. Yes. Right. R E S P E C T. Yeah. Find out what, what it, it means, means to me. me. where well, you can in 140 characters or less. Um, I'm at the Preston Knight. You know, the typical Norwegian spelling of that. Uh, and uh, you can email us podcast at oneroomwithaview.com. We would love to hear from you. Yes, we don't hear from enough of you, so please do do get in touch if you if you like. And do, um, and thank you very much for supporting us for three seasons as well. You have got us at least up until July of next year. We've, we've actually planned a few months worth, Dan. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to the next uh, few podcasts. Absolutely. There's a, lot of exciting, there's a lot of exciting films coming up, I and mean, we're in that sort of season of, of great films anyway. Absolutely, and a lot of them are currently being reviewed on the website, oneroomreview.com, particularly because it is currently the BFI London. Yes, film as we record this in London town, in the centre of London. Absolutely. Um, just a few short miles away. Every day from until October the 16th. 
Yes, um, you saw something today, didn't you? I saw La La Land today, the new Damien Chazelle uh, film. I was in the same room as Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling today, yes. and then Dan Alton, what a treat. Britain's hardest man, Dan Alton. Uh, <laughs> I in, am the governor. I was going to say, I'll be in a room with Jamie McLean just after this, so it's a, it's a fascinating day. Um, full of Damien Chazelle, for anyone who doesn't know, he directed and Whiplash. Well, wrote Whiplash, directed yeah. Whiplash, yes. And he has yeah. written and directed La La Land, starring Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. We won't be able to, we're covering a different film in January, when it, gets a, when it gets, a general when it release, gets its yeah. general release yeah. but if you can go and see it um, I know our mascot personality agrees with me it is amazing there's a lots of hyperbolic five star reviews at the moment mm. I was sceptical but it completely stole my heart today yes. uh, first thing Christopher said to me when he came in more or less was it's a perfect film you're going to love it yeah so. Dan will you will adore this film Dan absolutely it's, it's really really lovely mm. and yes and do check out the rest of uh, what's on well check out the rest of the reviews of the film festival on oneroomreview.com and there's some fantastic features as well, one of which they're going to be covering a new cult midnight movie that I'm kind of looking forward to. It's called The Greasy Strangler. Yes. There's some, uh, I think, a couple of features of that coming this week, if I know, if I know Tom Bond, our features editor. <laughs> so that's it effectively for this month then, Dan. Yeah. Join us next month uh, for, we are going to do our own little instructional manual, manual on fantastic beasts and where to find them, along with um, some scarred kid, yes. <laughs> some scarred neglected ne- kid. Yes, next month we're doing fantastic podcasts and where to listen to them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, neither iTunes nor SoundCloud <laughs> are available for comment. Uh, so we will see you in, remember, remember, the whatever date we release in November. Cheerio. Cheerio.